Well, here, if you're visiting with us in Calamasa, we believe that God is good. And all the time. Uh, I got to tell you, first service was kind of a little bit better. And there was about a third of it compared to you guys. So let's try it. See, I, I heard Jesus rose from the dead. Is that true? So God is good. And all the time. All right. Now, here's one for Easter, right? Little cheat sheet if you want to look at the cover of your bulletin. All right? He is risen. Okay, it's sort of a cheat sheet. It's kind of incomplete. But I'll say he is risen, and you say he is risen indeed. Okay? So let's try that. He is risen. He is risen All right, it feels like Easter a little bit here. Good. All right. I love my church family. And I love Easter. I kind of, you know, as a pastor, it's an important day. For us as Christians, it's an important day. And uh, I just thought I'd share before I get into the message a little bit, a little, a true story that John Ortberg tells about a friend of his that uh, he did denominational work out in the Minnesota area. He was a de- denominational official. And uh, one of his jobs was to go out into some of these rural areas to perform funerals where there weren't a lot of churches to have funerals. And so he would get together with the undertaker and they would take the hearse and they would do this funeral at the graveside and so forth. Where one time they were driving quite a ways and so, this is a true story, his name was John. He was in the front seat and he was feeling a little bit tired. So he decided to take a nap in the back of the hearse. Now, why not? I can stretch out, right? So he got in the back of the hearse and he took a nap. They're driving on these rural roads and they, they needed some gas. So the driver pulled into the gas station and uh, in these parts of the woods, I guess, they still have gas station attendants, you know? So the attendant came up and started filling up the car and John began to wake up from his nap in the back of the hearse. And uh, just so I don't, I don't miss it here, it says, while the attendant was filling the tank, John woke up, opened his eyes, and knocked on the window and waved at the attendant. John said he never saw anybody run so fast in his life. John was a little freaky, I think, but uh, besides that, could you imagine? Imagine what it must have been like to see someone raised from the dead. Imagine what it must have been like on that Sunday morning when you saw Jesus. But you had seen him just on Friday crucified and beaten and stabbed with the spear and nailed to a cross and give up his spirit to the Father, taken down from the cross, put in a tomb, and now you see him again. Do you run towards? Do you run away? On Easter weekends and on Easter Sabbath, we hear stories like this to remind us of what Christ has done for us. True story on ABC News just a few years ago. Sergeant Dennis Weichel, 29, died in Afghanistan as he lifted an Afghan girl who was in the path of a large military vehicle barreling down a road. Weichel, a Rhode Island National Guardsman, was riding along in a convoy in eastern Afghanistan when some children were spotted on the road ahead. The children were picking up shell casings lying on the road and the casings are recycled for money in Afghanistan. Weichel and other soldiers got out of their vehicle to get them out of the way of the heavy trucks in the convoy. The children were moved out of the way, but an Afghan girl darted back onto the road to pick up some more casings right in the path of a speeding 16-ton armored truck. Weichel spotted the girl and quickly moved toward her to get her out of the way. He succeeded, but not before he was run over by the heavily armored truck. The girl was safe, but Weichel died of his injuries. Dennis was 29 years old and had arrived in Afghanistan only a few weeks before. Staff Sergeant Ronald Corbett, 
who deployed with Weichel to Iran in 2005 said, he would have done it for anybody, adding that was the way he was. He would give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. He was that type of guy. Isn't it great that our God came down here and died for anybody and for everybody? That's the type of God that we have. He gave his life for us that we might be saved, that we might experience the life that comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today I want to look at a passage in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Jesus has risen from the dead, and it's now the evening of that first day of the week. It says on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Imagine being one of those disciples. Behind locked doors, fearing for your life. We're not saying we're a little nervous, a little concerned. It's crossed my mind a couple of times. They are fearful for their lives. Behind locked doors, Jesus comes and he stands among them and says, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. I wonder how things shifted. If you were one of those disciples, and Jesus showed you his hands, and he showed you his side, of course I have peace. My master who was dead, whipped, beaten, and tortured, is alive. Death couldn't even conquer him. Rome couldn't conquer him. The Jewish leaders, religious leaders couldn't conquer him. Of course I have peace. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Isn't it amazing the peace that Jesus offers us as humanity? Isn't it amazing the gift that he offers to us to have peace in this world that is so full of pain and suffering, misery and chaos? Remember these words that Jesus said in John 14? Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now let's, let's just stay there for a second. Let's keep that on the screen. Let's not just read that. Let's not do just a drive-by reading of this passage. Let's stop and just, you know that word I like to make, let's marinate in this just for a second. And listen to this. Listen to Jesus' words for you and for I. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Isn't that incredible, church? Yeah. The peace of Christ for you and I. 
not the peace of John, not the peace of anybody else, not the peace of any man or woman, but the peace of God, divine peace given to you and I. Remember these words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All this the resurrected Christ promises us. I love the quote. I don't know who said it, but they said, Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. Peace is not the... See, we think peace is the absence of trouble. We can't have trouble because we can't... That's not true. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. The resurrected Christ, nonetheless. Christ offers us his peace. He's resurrected and he comes to his disciples and he says, peace be with you. Twice he says this, peace be with you. In this passage, there's something that we need to understand that John is up to, or we will miss the fullness and the richness of what John is up to in these few verses. You see, John, unlike the synoptic gospels, was full of imagery, right? The light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, I am all the I am statements of Jesus. He talked about lightness and darkness. He talked about all these different things that had so much imagery. John, the Holy Spirit moving upon John, was doing something very interesting in his account here of Jesus meeting them in this room. To give you a little bit of preface, yesterday I had the privilege and the honor of speaking for the area Good Friday service that happened at noon at Green Valley Baptist Church. And there were several pastors, and we all had four to five minutes to share the scripture as we told the story leading up to the crucifixion take a few minutes to talk about it. And I had John chapter 18, 1 through 11, where Jesus was arrested in the garden. Now, when you read John's account of Jesus being arrested, he doesn't say where it is. He just says, in the garden. And what you begin to realize as you look at John, if you haven't looked at this before, John is beginning to tell the story of a new garden account, a new creation account that God is up to through Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is in the garden and his betrayer is there with Judas and all the people that he got together to arrest Jesus, whereas Adam stood silent next to Eve in the garden when they sinned, John brings out very clearly that Jesus came forward as the second Adam and began to put everything back to right again. And so now, with that context, here, John is up to his new creation account. Go back to the passage with me, if you would, beginning in verse 21, where Jesus says again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he, what? He breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. How did God make Adam? In the dust of the ground and the breath of God, he what? He breathed into them the breath of life. Let's go to Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. This word that John uses in the Greek 
only shows up here in the New Testament. But what they call the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, this same word that John uses in the Greek is the very same word that is used to translate the Hebrew word into Greek in Genesis 2-7. See what John's up to? It's the very same word that's also used from Ezekiel 37, and I'm sure you remember this sermon that I did a long time ago. I'm absolutely sure you remember all of my sermons. I know you don't because I don't remember what I preached on the week before. But do you remember the passage in Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones? And Ezekiel says, who's going who's to give life to these things? And God, the breath of God, the spirit, the ruach, the pneuma in the Greek, comes forward and brings life and the bones start to rattle and form this great army of God. This is the same word that John is using here when it says, and Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. John is recreating. He's saying this is the new creation event that God has been up to. And as Jesus breathes onto his disciples, he breathes his life into them and new creation is beginning in the life of humanity. And he sends them now. He sends them now, he says. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathes into them his breath. And he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is the part where we all go, oh. (laughs) It feels a little heavy, Pastor John. It was all feeling good to that point. And how does... How does this thing work now with this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they, they are not forgiven. I want to take a moment, if you would, just for a few minutes, enter the classroom. Okay, I'm going to ask the deacons to hand out a piece of paper. And I want you to take this, this paper. There's actually words written on it. It's not just a piece of paper. And uh, I, I printed it out instead of projecting it for a few reasons. One is because I want you to take it home and I want you to encourage you to spend some time reading it this week. Maybe a couple times, maybe a few times. This is one of those, one of those things that like have, it's like an onion, it has layers. And you read it through the first time and you're like, oh wow, okay. And then you read it through again and you're whoa, and then whoa, and then it keeps, it keeps unpacking itself. And I also didn't want it projected because I didn't want Steve Narotti to have to enter it all in. Because it's a lot. So I was being nice to you, Steve. <laughs> But here, New Testament scholar and biblical historian N.T. Wright, who I refer to often because I'm blessed by, I'm blessed by his teachings and his speaking and so forth. This is from a, a text that I use in one of my classes at Loma Linda and, and talking about resurrection. And, and this is where I want to tie this together with the forgiveness. So read, read along with me if you would. The resurrection of Jesus. It would be possible to understand this statement in an utterly trivial and superficial way, simply as a reward for a supremely difficult job finally completed, or perhaps as the sign that since Jesus was divine, the whole thing had been an elaborate charade. Unfortunately, I suspect that there are some Christians who think in patterns like that, but the resurrection is far, far more than anything of the kind. Evil is the force, listen to this, evil is the force of anti-creation, anti-life, the force which opposes and seeks to deface and destroy God's good world of space, time, and matter, and above all, God's image-bearing human creatures. That is why death, as Paul saw so graphically in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, is the final great enemy. 
But if in any sense this evil has been defeated, if it is true, as the gospel writers have been trying to tell us, that evil at all levels and of all sorts had done its worst, and that Jesus throughout his public career and supremely on the cross had dealt with it, taken its full force, exhausted it, why then, of course, death itself had no more power. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death thou shalt die, John Donne so clearly, uh, saw clearly what so many modern readers of the Gospels have missed entirely. Indeed, we might even say that the Gospel writers were telling their whole story so as to explain why the resurrection happened, to make it clear that this was not simply an odd, isolated, bizarre miracle, but rather the proper and appropriate result of Jesus' entire successful confrontation with evil. It was like the call of Abraham coming after the judgment on Babel, like the dove and the olive leaf after the 40 days reign. It was God's act of new creation after judgment had fallen on the evil of the old. You following me? You with me? All right. Now, here we go. But at the same moment as we say resurrection, and for the same reason as, again, Paul saw in 1 Corinthians 15, we must say forgiveness of sins. The two are, in fact, the same thing. To be released from sin is to be released from death. And since Jesus died in a representative capacity for Israel, and hence for the whole human race, and hence for the whole cosmos, that is how the chain of representation works, his death under the weight of sin results immediately in release for all those held captive by its guilt and power. This is where all the old hymns come into their own, but now with renewed force and deeper meaning. Forgiveness of sins, in turn, means new creation, since the anti-creation force of sin has been dealt with. And now creation begins with the word of forgiveness heard by the individual sinner as in the matchless scene between Jesus and Peter by the lake in John 21. Isn't that amazing, church? You see, that's why forgiveness of sins, when Jesus is breathing in his new creation into his people, he now says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. How many of you would like the ministry of not forgiving people? How would you like to carry that weight of not forgiving people? Isn't it great that Jesus says, now go, as the Father sent me, I am sending you, bring forgiveness into this world. That's why he says, peace be with you, because you are forgiven. And where there's forgiveness, there's peace. Even if the person that you are forgiving doesn't want forgiveness, you have peace. And your life of experiencing peace manifests itself in the relationships around you. Jesus forgave a lot of people who didn't want to be forgiven. But it's a whole other thing when we actually receive the forgiveness. It's amazing. You see, when Jesus says, you're forgiven, new creation happens in our life. When you say to somebody else, you're forgiven, you bring new creation into their life because the weight of sin and guilt is no longer. Did you know, this is totally true, they did studies with people who were harboring grudges and not forgiving people and those who were, and they had them jump. And the people who actually said, I have forgiven people, jumped 11 11 inches something, and the people who said they were holding grudges only jumped eight inches something inches. 
crazy, isn't it? Forgiveness and unforgiveness is tied to our physical being. Our mental health and wellness, our emotions, our hearts, our relationship with God and with others. When you forgive others, you are accomplishing the mission that Christ sends his people out to do after he was resurrected. As the Father has sent me to bring forgiveness and peace into the world, I now send you and I breathe my life into you because to forgive someone is going to take supernatural grace and strength to do it. You and I cannot do it in our own power or we will hold on to unforgiveness with a death grip. Now here's one of the hardest things that you may have to do. As you forgive others and bring new life into them, new creation. What about forgiving yourself? If I don't forgive myself for things, what's happening to new creation in my life? As I forgive myself, as Christ has forgiven me, imagine the new creation that takes place through the Spirit of God. New creation. Now I recognize that some of us, many of us, if not all of us, have had different things happen to us in our life that that have caused the neurons to fire a certain way and therefore wire a certain way, which makes forgiveness sometimes a challenging thing to give and a challenging thing to accept. We were on vacation last week and um, we took a quick road trip to Arizona to catch a uh, Dodgers spring training game. Turned around next day, came back, went away for the week, and then ended up adopting a dog by the end of the week. It was, a, it was a varied vacation. It was quite, a, quite an experience. We went to the Humane Society there to kind of look at dogs, and, and we found this dog that we, we call Dakota. She's a cutie. And there she is sleeping on Andrew's hand. And uh, Dakota, when we were looking at her and considering her, the, uh, the person there at the Humane Society said, now, you need to know that Dakota has some issues. Dakota came from Mississippi, and um, she's been traumatized in some way. We're not sure how, but she stresses a lot, and she freaks out randomly. <laughs> um, we have a theory that she might have been in some tornadoes or something because anything that's up in the air freaks her out. Like, and if it's not moving, like our patio cover, she won't come back in the house because <laughs> she has to go under the patio cover and it freaks her out. So as long as we get our little dog to like go first and then she chases the little dog and we, then we can get her in there. She goes into our family room and she wants to get close to us and then she sees the feeling, ceiling fan, which is not moving, and she freaks out and goes back the other way. So she's been traumatized. There's another picture I think I have when we br- we're bringing her home. Um, where she was owning Alana in the car. <laughs> but she's a wonderful, sweet-hearted dog. She just loves to be connected, but she's been traumatized, and, and she can't control. She has a hard time. Like, just she wants to be with us, and she wants to get inside the house, but, but she just can't get past the patio cover because she's been traumatized. And some of us, some of us have been traumatized in different ways that forgiveness, what is that? I didn't experience that growing up. What, what about these wounds and these pains and these things I've experienced? See, the, the neurons fired and now the neurons wired. And well, the good news, the good news is, church, that all things are possible with God. Yeah. Because not even death could hold God down. 
And if death can't hold God down, he can actually work on a renewing of the mind. With Jesus, some good cognitive behavioral therapy. I like that God is my therapist. We all need a good therapist. Because don't act like you don't have issues, right? Because we all got issues. And if you say you don't have any, I got 10 numbers you could call, okay? But all things are possible with God. You are not destined to unforgiveness. Now, I did learn in my research about forgiveness, and I just had to put this in since I was talking about dogs as well, that there is one species that does not forgive. Researchers found out, uh, if you go to the website, The Science of Us, they have 17 things we know about forgiveness. And check this out. Perhaps the most interesting scientific study on forgiveness noted who or what does not forgive. The article summarized the research this way. Cats never forgive. <laughs> Sorry to you cat lovers, you got, a, you got a unique ministry at your house. I mean, just look at it, right? Didn't look anything like my Dakota, you know? Scientists have observed conciliatory behavior in many different animal species. The bulk of the research has been done on primates like mountain gorillas and chimps who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing or kissing. Scientists have observed similar behaviors in non-primates like goats and hyenas. The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation are domestic cats. In other words, when it comes to forgiving others, don't act like a cat. <laughs> yes. It's so funny because, no, I'm not here to, I'm not making judgment, but I'm just going to say the only comment I got from somebody after first service was from a cat person <laughs> who told me cats are superior to dogs. So, but at least the dog will forgive them, right? <sighs> Some of you got that one. <laughs> Isn't it great that Jesus gives us his peace and his forgiveness? And not only that, but he says, now, now, the mission that the Father gave me to do, I now give to you. Bring my peace into this world and bring my forgiveness to others in this new creation that I'm about and that I'm bringing about. For God was raised from the tomb. And in his resurrection power, he also raises us up into his new creation, into his new life, so that we can carry forth through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit his ministry of peace through forgiveness, now and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have been raised from the dead. And we thank you that you also raise us up in your resurrection power and breathing into us your very presence of the Holy Spirit so that we may be filled with your peace. For we are full of your presence in us through the Holy Spirit. And so that as we leave here from this place, we go out and we breathe on others your love, your forgiveness the ministry that the Father gave you to do and which you now give us to do. We know that this life is not about going about our business and coming to church and worshiping on the weekend and then going back out about our business again. This life 
is about you and people. So as we go into the workplace, as we go to our schools, as we go home, as we go to the places in which we live, we shop and we exercise and we play, may your breath breathe through us peace of the kingdom and forgiveness from God. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to listen to the one who breathes his life of peace and forgiveness into you. And now as we go, may we go in the peace of our resurrected Lord. Going now, filled with the breath of his spirit, bringing forgiveness and the peace of the reign of God into the relationships that we share. Peace be with you.